All right, welcome to this week's Pac-12 recap and preview for this coming weekend. We're going to start off with the number five ranked Washington Huskies against the Arizona State Sun Devils. And Arizona State really put it to the Huskies all game yeah. until that fourth quarter. Michael Penix Jr. has two interceptions, plus I believe there was one fumble there. What what did you see out of that game? And, you know, is UW in potential trouble here? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're in potential trouble, but this tells me how real that Oregon defense is. Penix looked beat up. He looked hurt. He obviously had gotten hurt in that Oregon UW game. He was constantly grabbing his ribs. They said the reason that they didn't have a quarterback sneak play on when he was right up front, right on the goal line, is because of how bad his ribs were beat up and how bad that Oregon defense was getting to him. I think it's a little bit of a hangover, right? You go from the mountaintop. You won a rivalry game that was top 10. Now everyone is kissing your butt saying, hey, you are the toast of the town. You're the big deal. You don't practice as hard that week. You're going up against Arizona State. They're the worst team in the Pac-12. And then all of a sudden, that little Pac-12 after dark, that's when that magic starts getting sprinkled on you, and that's when uh, you get put in a close one. Now, I'm not here to blame officiating. I think that's lame if you do that. I don't think this was a great officiated game. There were bad calls. Arizona State fans are going to talk about the Muhammad uh, grabbing of the Arizona State jersey, the wide receiver that didn't get called. He didn't get a defensive P.I., Definitely believe that there should have been a defensive PI there, but you'll forget you dub in the first half, you had a wide receiver running all by himself. And then all of a sudden he is tackled by two Arizona state defenders before the ball even gets there. No flag there either. So at least it was a bad officiated game, but you can say it was evenly officiated bad, which is all you can kind of ask for uh, in those situations. And I just think that this was a game that you dub walked through. They just were at their highest high it's the ultimate letdown spot, and they they let down. If they don't have a key pick six in their own red zone, they lose this football game. Uh, but if you're a Pac-12 fan, they had to win this football game. Just survive and advance and stay undefeated. Give yourself that wiggle room because a one-loss Pac-12 team will get into the playoff, I believe. So as a Pac-12 fan, you have to be thankful that UW was able to stay where they were. And a crazy stat is that the Sun Devils had beaten the Huskies 13 out of 15 times this century. So you had to kind of expect Arizona State to put up a a game against the Huskies like this, even if it doesn't really make that much sense. Right. Well, and Dillingham is one of those offensive minds that I think he just sits in his house, doesn't talk to his wife, girlfriend, whatever. And I think he just sits there and doodles and makes crazy plays. When he was at Oregon (laughs) – he was running tight end jet sweeps every single week. There was a new trick play. There was a new gadget. Every single thing that he does has two or three options. So he lets the defense kind of pick their own death. Of course, he's going to have something drawn up. It's going to be funky. It's going to be weird. It's the ultimate Pac-12 after dark game. You have a team that just got done with the highest of highs. You have a team that couldn't be lower. Everyone's overlooking. The team that's coming in that's the top dog just got really beat up in the game before. They're not really caring. Fans aren't out there. They'd rather be at the bar than at the game because, you know, maybe they have a chance to go meet up with some girls or some guys, whatever, right? It's the perfect formula for a Pac-12 team to lose that game. And I'm just thankful that UW was able to hold on. And hopefully this is a wake-up call for them because they have a lot of tough games still left on their schedule. They still have to play USC. They still have to play Oregon State. You know, uh, there's even a possibility that they might have to play 
USC, Oregon State, or Oregon again at a Pac-12 championship. So hopefully this, uh, you know, kind of wake, wakes them up and gets them back to where they were. But you can definitely tell that that Oregon game, uh, it, it took a toll on that UW team physically. Speaking of Oregon, uh, Oregon played the Washington State Cougars in Eugene. Mm-hmm. They ended up pulling it off 38-24 uh, to 24 in Eugene. Uh, Cameron Ward threw for 438 yards, yeah. averaging 9.1. Uh, he had one touchdown. Bo Nix set the mark for the most career starts in NCAA football. Bucky Irving ran all over the Cougars with 129 yards. Jordan James added 103 yards. What did you see in this game? Uh, I saw two running backs that might have the best vision right now in college football. Maybe that's a bit of hyperbole, but you can tell Jordan James, he's a young kid. Uh, he was the short down and distance back last year for Oregon. Uh, this is one of the recruits that Lanning took with him from Georgia to come and play with him here at Oregon. And what I've always said about Bucky Irving is his vision and ability to set up his blocks. He knows where offensive linemen have their aiming points, right? When an offensive lineman goes to block a linebacker, they're told, hey, you're aiming. You want to be head up on this one. Hey, you want to be on that backside number. Hey, you want to be on that front side number. Bucky Irving understands that. And not all running backs do. And you'll see situations where you go, oh, well, why didn't that offensive lineman block? Well, you go back and you watch the All-22 and the running back is running right on the track where he should be. And then at the last moment, he sees green grass, so he bolts to the right. Well, that offensive lineman, he's going for a certain aiming point. If he doesn't see, he's not going to see that running back bolt to the right because the running back's behind him. That linebacker is just going to bolt out of nowhere. And half the time, those running backs are bolting to green grass where the offensive lineman wants to block that linebacker anyways. So you see a lot of times where you'll go, ah, it was a four-yard gain. But if that offensive lineman blocked that linebacker, it would have been a 20-yard gain. And I would contend as an offensive line apologist, uh, that that's on the running back because he jumped out where, when the O-lineman didn't see it. So the O-lineman doesn't get to his landmark, doesn't get to his aiming point, And now everyone's yelling at the offensive lineman. That's something that Bucky Irving doesn't do. And with Noah Whittington being out, Jordan James getting more and more starts, he's starting to understand that as well. And so you're starting to see these big breakaway runs for both Irving and for James because they're able to get their linemen onto WSU and other Pac-12 linebackers so that there's big holes, big space, and then they can get into the green grass and start using their speed to beat safeties and to beat DBs as opposed to trying to beat linebackers when they can work smarter, not harder, and just use those offensive linemen. From WSU's standpoint, I felt like Cam Ward had a good game. Now, the stats are going to tell you he had a great game. He had issues when it came to inside the red zone. He wasn't able to finish. When you have 400 yards, you should have more than one touchdown, right? Uh, a lot of what he was making work for him were these like little five, six, seven yard slants to Lincoln Victor. I think Lincoln ended the game with like 16 catches or something ridiculous like that. 16 for 161. Right. And Oregon was fine with that. Have these short little catches because our defensive line is eventually going to beat you. In that game, I believe Oregon ended up having five or six total sacks. And then they added in another six or seven tackles for loss. So when you start having these big plays where you're getting sacks on Cam Ward, you're getting these big tackles for loss, that's fine. Have the six-yard catch. It's third and 16. It's fourth and 10 now. You have to punt. And so on this uh, Oregon defensive side, you saw a lot of young defensive linemen, Purchase, Ui Angolay. They had sacks in this game. They had tackles for loss. That's huge as you see that growth. So now you're not just relying on doorless and on bird. 
church to have did that you got a phone call i'm sorry Um, so you're not you're not relying on uh you're you're not just relying on one side of the defense you are relying on both sides of your defensive line to win and to win one-on-one battles so for me oregon did exactly what they were supposed to do let wsu get a bunch of yards let cam ward throw for 400 stop him when he's trying to get into the end zone and they were able to do that, and that was huge in why they were able to win this game. And really, what the score ended up being wasn't the true score. Oregon was in control basically after that first quarter. They were going to win this game, and they weren't going to have to sweat it out. Yeah, Kim Ward had six sacks in that that big one. You know, I think it was in the red zone to where it was fourth down, mm-hmm. and he just took the sack to get them completely right. out of it. They were already out of it, but. Now getting to uh, the Utah Utes and the USC Trojans, the Utes pulled it off right at the buzzer, I believe, with the field goal, yep. 34 to 32 Utes. Um, I know we talk about Travis Hunter as the best, you know, as, as being a two-way star. Who's this guy, uh, Sion Vaki? Yeah. yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, uh, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give that to you. <laughs> the, the kid is a... Stud going both way for the Utes. He caught two touchdown passes and accounted for 217 total yards versus the Utes. Um, let me take a look at the uh, the box score. But what else did you see from that game? Uh, well, it was a classic USC game. The defense struggled. They could not stop this Utah offense. And the problem is, is Utah right now they're back to their third string quarterback. They're back to Barnes. Um, this guy, he's shown flashes of greatness, right? When you think about him in the Rose Bowl, he led Utah down to have a big drive where they had the opportunity uh, to win the game and get some points when uh, he's had to be used before in the past, right? If you give him confidence and you let him believe that he can be a good quarterback, like he was earlier this year against Florida, this Barnes kid, he can actually play. Now, he's not up to what cam rising is and now in utah you don't you're not gonna have cam rising this whole year he's already petitioning for a medical red shirt uh so he's basically declared that he's not gonna play this whole season so you're stuck with barnes and with johnson so if he can get started early like he did against usc and get confidence and feel like he can play good football he's going to play good football momentum is a real thing and you could see it in this usc utah game now the big thing here right is USC was down early. They come back. Their defense starts getting stops. Caleb Williams looks like a goat again. They're driving down. They're making big plays. They're scoring. They get the lead. And then instantly that defense goes back to poo where they go back into this prevent defense. They let Utah pick them apart. And then Barnes makes a big play with his legs. Yeah, he's an athletic quarterback. He ain't that athletic. He shouldn't be able to have a big run at the end of the game to set themselves up and basically end your season. So you went to Utah, or to, excuse me, you went to USC, this team who at the beginning of the year, we're talking about a national championship contender. And before we even get to November, they are already basically eliminated from the playoff. Um, so I'm interested to see how the rest of this season goes for them, because this is an easy point where you can just pack it in. You look at Caleb Williams right now, you've got Acho on X on Twitter going out and saying, well, he should just be done. He should be done for the rest of the year. You can't play for anything. You're not going to get anything. You're already the number one pick. Just be done. And I don't necessarily agree with that. 
I agree with not playing in a bowl game, but you still can go out and make big plays, get some endorsement deals. Two lost teams have gotten in before. You'd have to run the table, go perfect, get into the Pac-12 championship, and win again, and then hope a bunch of other things goes your way. That's not going to happen for this USC team. But now you get the opportunity to play spoiler. And this USC team seems primed because they get to play both Washington and Oregon later on in November. This seems like the perfect opportunity for this USC team to reach up and snake bite one of the better teams in the Pac-12. It's the ultimate Pac-12 story. Or they're going to pack it in and go home and take their ball and just be done. I mean, shoot, Lincoln Riley's already missed two weeks of practice or two games, two days of practice this week. Yeah, what have you heard about Lincoln Riley? I heard that he might be sick, or I also saw a rumor that he was leaving the Chicago Bears headquarters today. I don't know how much truth there is to that. I I don't know how much I would buy into him going to Chicago. <laughs> um, I would definitely say that, uh, you know, when you have a sickness with your head coach, that's a big deal because a lot of these coaches, they're addicted to football. I have played four. I've heard stories of. And I know friends who were coaches and are coaches still who literally slept on air mattresses. They brought in, they had beds get built into their office. They don't leave the facility. So when they're sick, it doesn't matter. I'm not going home. I'm already home because I'm at the facility and I don't leave. And I have this, you know, unhealthy, toxic relationship with football. So for him to miss, it's a big deal. Now I'm not going to totally buy into, you know, he's, He's flying out and he's at Carolina or he's at Chicago or insert NFL team here that is doing poorly this season. I don't know if I buy that, but I do buy that it's a big deal. And if your head coach is already missing a practice or two, that might make it easier for a lot of these players who came there for a national championship that are already eliminated to go, you know what? I don't need to practice that hard this week. I don't need to put my body on the line. I'm a little banged up. I'm sore in my hamstring. I'm sore in my quad. I don't want to risk an injury. I'm going to sit out this week and when plus I probably just, should be playing. And plus they're just playing Cal, right? So, Right. Well, not not just Cal, you know. Like the rest of the way, you've got, what, four or five games left this season? You're going all the way up until Thanksgiving. They're actually a week earlier because they started the season earlier. But – you have some big games on there that I could see team guys getting ready for that want to play spoiler, but I could also see this team just pack it in and just, Hey, we're done. We're bad on defense. We're bad on, you know, we're great on offense, but we're bad on defense. We're done. So that's it for the the preview now, or sorry for the, uh, the recap. Now for the preview, we have a great matchup this weekend between the number eight Oregon ducks and the number 13 Utah Utes. That's going to be in Utah, which is going to be a great game. Uh, Barnes, the third Bryce string Eccles. quarterback, Barnes, the third string quarterback for the for the Utes, looking to take down mighty Oregon Ducks. Um, what what are your thoughts on what you'll see there? Oregon should be thankful that this isn't a late game for whatever reason, and this is dumb football guy brain. Twelve thirty, but it is what it is. That late five o'clock game when when all of a sudden the sun goes down, the lights get turned on, it gets dark. Utah's in the all blacks. It's almost like they get superpowers. Like they start playing just a little <laughs> bit better. Stuff starts looking a Their little eyes funnier. Start they start red. open. Right. Like <laughs> something, something's in the air in Salt Lake. And all of a sudden they start doing more uh, big things. But here's the key, right? It's a, it's a six and a half point spread right now, I believe, uh, in favor of Oregon. 
this is going to be a knock them out sock um, type game. If Oregon's defensive line that I mentioned earlier between Dorless, between Birch, between the young pups, Purchase, Uyungalole, if they can get to Barnes early and make him uncomfortable, just as easy as it is for him to become confident in his abilities if he's playing well, it's just as easy for him to go back into doubting himself and not believing that he is the guy. If they can go and play smash mouth football against a team that is smash mouth and punch the bully in the face, I think this could be a two touchdown at minimum two score win for Oregon. Now, offensively, Oregon is going to go up against the best defense in the Pac-12, bar none. This Utah defense, what they have done this season, to be on your third and fourth string QB and be a team with one loss, and you've played Oregon State, you've played UCLA, and you've played USC, that's pretty darn impressive. Oh, by the way, you played Florida, which they're not Florida, but it's still a good football team, right? So you've had a tough schedule, and you've been able to do that with your third and fourth uh, string backup quarterbacks. This defense is for real. There's a reason that uh, your coach out there in Utah, he's saying that this is the best defense that he has ever coached because they are that legit. They were the reason that they beat UCLA. Literally, they had a pick six, and that's why they beat him. So Oregon has to do a great job of running the football with James and with Irving so that Utah has to suck in. They have to put seven or eight in the box to try and stop that ground and pound attack so that then they can air out the football. You saw an emergence of Tez Johnson seeming to take that wide receiver number two spot in this last game against WSU. That is going to be huge because teams are going to start keying in and they already have on Troy Franklin as the number one. Franklin is the number one. He is the best wide receiver, but you need that number two to at least make teams go, well, we can't double team Troy every play because if we do, Tez is going to take advantage of us. So if you can keep that balanced rushing attack, put the ball in Bo's hands, let him pick this defense apart, then you're going to have an opportunity to win this game. And I really shouldn't say apart, but it really should be more of let him make the smart plays and find the open receivers because you're just not going to pick this defense apart. If you can get after Barnes and you can stay balanced on offense, I think Oregon can win this game by at least a touchdown, probably by two. If you can't do that, all of a sudden you're in a dogfight because this Utah team is going to beat you up. And above all, stay freaking healthy. Last year, you played Utah. You were able to win, but they beat you up, and you went into that UW game, and that game turned out to be an absolute dogfight because you didn't have guys at 100%. You need to stay healthy and punch the bully in the mouth and take it to him. And we'll see if Utah can stop Oregon's rushing game because Oregon or Oregon is averaging 226.9 rushing yards per game. The Utah Utes are averaging 78 rushing yards allowed. So we'll right. see if they can stop Bucky Irving and, you know, make Bo Nix throw it. Right. It's mono mono. The, the crazy thing with those stats for Oregon, they're doing that on like 30 rushes a game. Right. 33 rushes a game. So like I think against WSU, I think they had a total of 33. Bucky and James, I believe, had less than 15 total carries each, right? So to be running at the clip that they're doing it is pretty damn impressive. 
Yeah, and I don't have the stats stats on me, but last game, I think Bucky's longest rush was like 43 yards, and Jordan James was like 37 yards, their longest. So, Right. Well, and then and Bucky had a, a, a screen pass that he took for a touchdown. That was the play where uh, the WSU kid isn't looking. And, uh, oh, that's right. Apparently, he got a concussion on that prior play. Cleat. Yeah, well, he thought the other – the receiver that he was uh, following or tight end that he was following, he thought he caught the ball. Oh, okay. But so uh, Dylan like, – Dylan had actually said that the guy got a concussion the prior play and they didn't get him off in time. And then he got railed again. Yes. That's awful to see. Got absolutely smoked. Um, Another matchup this coming weekend is USC at Cal. We Mm. glazed over that. USC should be able to take care of Cal. You got Washington number five going into Stanford. Washington should be able to handle Stanford pretty easily. Then you got Colorado going into UCLA, who's ranked 23rd. Um, UCLA's looked like a solid defense. We'll see if Colorado has any fire underneath them, and we'll see if any of the players on their team have found the love for the game instead of the like of the game, like Dion said. Um, right. You think UCLA you're, you're will handle Colorado? Off. I would think so. Um, but you're coming off like Colorado, you've basically had now two weeks to stew on, you know, giving up a a huge halftime lead. So I'll be interested to see if they come out firing. Uh, this UCLA defense though is solid. There's a reason why they've been playing as good as they've been playing. Um, and, and to be honest, this is a game where I watch Dante Moore. I want to see what the young QB can do because he's made mistakes this year. He's had good plays. He's had bad, but if I can continue to see that growth in a chip Kelly offense, Next year when he's in the Big Ten and he gets to go against the worst offenses in the world in Iowa and Minnesota and all those other crap schools out there, what can he do offensively? They'll have good defenses out there, but if he can get a couple touchdowns early on those teams and they have to come out of the defenses that they run and with the offensive firepower that those schools don't have, you know, he could become a big time player that we're talking about for years and years and years from now. There's a reason he was a five-star kid. There is a reason that every team in the, in the country wanted Dante Moore to come to them. Um, so I want to keep watching his growth and seeing where he continues to move forward and how he continues to move forward. Uh, because I don't believe that this is going to be a close game, but every single time I doubt Coach Prime, all of a sudden, they they pull off a, an upset that they're not supposed to have. Should be a good one. And then uh, we got Washington State heading to Arizona State. Washington State should be able to handle Arizona State. We'll see that. Right. And then um, the another great game that doesn't just from the rankings. You know, Oregon State's ranked 11. Arizona's unranked. Arizona, the best three win team in the country, at least from what. Yes. So Oregon State heading into Arizona. This is Arizona's shot to get into the ranked again. What do you see in this matchup? This is going to all depend on DJU. Arizona is a brutal place to play on the road. Ask the Huskies. You are doing it at – it's the late game. It's the Pac-12 after dark game, correct? Yep, 7.30. So – Weird and funky things happen in that game. It is a three and a half point spread. It does favor Oregon State. If DJU can go out and play the way that he played against Utah and USC, where he is not making dumb decisions with the football and he is finding the open receiver, and if no one's open, he takes the ball and runs, Oregon State will win this game. 
The problem is, is if you get a bad DJU game or even a bad first half DJU game, just like you did against WSU, that's where things start getting into problems. Because you've got that FIFTA kid, uh, the new QB over at Arizona. He is unfreaking believable. Thank you, Fafita. I'm horrible with names. (laughs) He is unbelievable. His, His ability in the last two games where Arizona has come in and almost knocked off UW and they were able to knock off USC, He's been the difference in those games. Everyone thought that Delora was going to take the next step and he'd be the reason that this Arizona team won games. It's not. It's this FIFTA kid, and he's been absolutely picking apart defenses. Now, this OSU defense is no slouch, right? They've gone out and they've handled their business, and they've handled their business against some pretty good offensive units uh, in the Pac-12. But I still think FIFTA is going to be able to score, and they're going to score a couple times. And this game is going to come down to a key fourth quarter drive or a fourth quarter stop for Oregon State. Can they stop FIFTA? And if they have the ball offensively, can DJU get done with what he needs to do to win this football game and walk away from this game with not just your Pac-12 championship hopes alive, but your college football playoff hopes alive too? Should be a great game. Yeah, we got at least two solid matchups. You got Oregon and Utah. You got Oregon State and Arizona. Colorado and UCLA will be fun to watch just to, to see how Colorado reacts. But um, yeah, another great weekend of Pac-12 football coming. Thanks again, Will, for joining. And thank you all for watching. And we'll we'll see you next week. Thanks for having me.